Hello, this is episode 232. Now, if you listen to my last episode and at the very end, you'll know that I said, you know, next time episode 232 was going to be about all the things I would ban in home design if I had a choice. Now, that episode is still coming, I promise. But first, I've actually decided instead to bring you this fantastic conversation with Jeremy Spencer from Positive Footprints. I did this interview and wasn't planning on bringing it on the podcast for a little while yet, but I just, I thought it just, I, I just couldn't wait. I, I really want to get this conversation out there and into the ears of, you know, the beautiful Undercover Architect podcast audience, ASAP. Because in this episode, Jeremy, Jeremy and I talk about sustainability and energy efficiency in home renovation and building, but in a way that I've not discussed in detail on the podcast before. Jeremy and his wife, through their design build business, Positive Footprints, they actually specialise in carbon zero homes. This is their term for a home that is only that's not only net zero but it's also low in embodied carbon embodied energy so what does this all mean well we're going to discuss this in more detail in my conversation with Jeremy but in short it means that you have a home that produces more energy than it uses and it's also considerate of how much energy went into the creation of the products, the materials, the fixtures and the finishes that it's constructed from. And this is great for you and for your home and for the planet. This is a fantastic conversation with super actionable, really pragmatic information on how to consider energy efficiency, sustainability and your carbon footprint in your home design and build and about how simple it can actually be to achieve a net zero home as well. So stay tuned. Now, if you'd like to grab a full transcript of this episode, plus information on the resources that we discuss, you can do that by heading to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 232. That's the numbers 232. Now let's dive in. I begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of country throughout Australia, and I recognise the continuing connection to lands, waters, skies and communities. I pay my respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and to elders both past and present. If we haven't met before, I'm Amelia Lee. Based in northern New South Wales, Australia, I'm a wife, mum and architect, and I've worked in the architectural industry for over 27 years now. Having worked on over 250 projects, mainly residential family homes, as well as significantly renovating three homes of my own with my hubby, whilst our three kids were babies, toddlers and even older, I have a personal and professional understanding of the joy, challenges, stresses and excitement of making your family home a reality. In mid-2014, I started Undercover Architect, and it's an online business to help and teach homeowners like you how to get it right when designing, building and renovating your family home. Undercover Architect is all about giving you access to the industry knowledge and insights you need to avoid the mistakes and dramas that can cost you thousands, tens of thousands and even hundreds of thousands of dollars. And it's about levelling the playing field so that the world of renovating and building doesn't seem so mysterious and you can be the active driver in your project, navigating it with know-how and confidence. Undercover Architect helps and teaches homeowners through this podcast, the website, and our online courses and programs, including my flagship program, Home Method. I truly believe that when you know the questions to ask, the steps to take, and the best way to create a home that works, feels great, and that you feel great in, you can enjoy the process of building and renovating, as well as the home that you move into at the end of this ambitious journey. Consider Undercover Architect your secret ally, whoever you're working with and whatever your location, your budget or your dreams. 
Grab access to my free online workshop, Your Project Plan, and learn super helpful information to save time, money and stress in your reno or new build. You can find it at undercoverarchitect.com forward slash project plan. That's P-R-O-J-E-C-T-P-L-A-N. Now, let's get on to the episode. I'm really excited about this episode because I know it's going to provide you with some incredibly useful information for any renovation or building project. And in doing so, it's going to help you create a much more sustainable home. Our carbon footprint, it's something that we discuss in loads of areas in our life. And in many instances, you know, we're getting the option to offset our carbon footprint through paying extra at the point of purchase or by making certain decisions about what we do buy. And you've probably been fed articles on the tips and the ways that you can reduce your carbon footprint through how you shop, how you travel, how you even buy energy for your home. But when it comes to building and renovating itself, your carbon footprint, it's not necessarily a metric that gets discussed as a priority in many building conversations. Not not that I hear out there in the mainstream. And yet, as you'll hear from my guest, the carbon footprint of your home itself, it can be huge. And so considering how to reduce it, uh, it's not only accessible and achievable, it's actually really great for the long-term performance of your home and for future-proofing your home as well. Now, let me introduce you to my guest for this podcast, Jeremy Spencer. For almost 20 years, Jeremy's been a registered builder, a thermal assessor, and a director at design and build company Positive Footprints. Positive Footprints is driven by two directors, a husband and wife team, Jeremy, as I said, and his wife, Chi Lu. And prior to 2000, Chi was working in law and business, whilst Jeremy was a primary school grade teacher with a background in environmental geography and woodwork. Now, both had the opportunity to work abroad for a couple of years, and this overseas experience allowed them to appreciate various cultural perspectives and global concerns. And principally among them was seeing that was the seeming disconnect between our society's voracious resource use, throwaway mentality, and pollution generating energy sources and the way that natural ecosystems recycled resources and made efficient use of available energy. And so they resolved that learning from nature was a way forward for both environmental and social benefit. Moving back to Australia and developing an interest in housing and passive solar design and sustainability more broadly, Jeremy and Chi decided that they could direct their energies to become part of the solution. And this culminated in a change in career direction and a return to study for both of them. Chi to become a designer and Jeremy to become a builder and energy raider. And Positive Footprints was formed. Positive Footprints has won multiple awards for sustainability and worked to show that energy-efficient, sustainable design and high-performance construction is a cost-effective option and can be a mainstream reality. Now, as well as being an educator and a former Green Living lecturer in an earlier life, Jeremy is a founding member of Builders Declare and currently sits on the Design Matters Board, the Sustainability Hub and the NatHERS Stakeholder Consultative Group. I know you'll find what Jeremy has to share super helpful. I've actually broken our conversation into two episodes. So let's dive into part one now and then be sure to tune into the next podcast episode to hear part two. And as a reminder as well, you can download a free PDF transcript of this episode and links to all of the resources that we mentioned by heading to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 232. That's the numbers 232. 
Well, Jeremy, it's fantastic to have you here. I'm really excited to be bringing you on the podcast uh, and being able to speak with you and share you with the undercover architect community, many of whom I know are already familiar with your great work, um, but it's really exciting to be able to actually bring uh, your incredible experience and expertise to the podcast community in particular and, um, and to be having this chat with you. And I'm also, you know, I said before we jumped on re recording that I'm actually really excited to get the chance to have this conversation with you too, because we have been uh, interacting, I think, by, you know, sort of three degrees of separation in so many different arenas. It's really lovely to be able to actually have this direct conversation with you for the first time. So thank you very much for coming on the podcast. Um, I'd love just to start by you sharing us uh, with us a little bit about yourself. Uh, particularly, I was intrigued to see that you used to be a school teacher, how you went from being a school teacher to being a builder. That, that mm -hmm. really fascinates me. Can you just take a little moment to, to tell us a little bit more about yourself? Well, first of all, thank you very much for those lovely words and thank you for inviting me onto your program. Um, you know, you, you and your program have done a huge amount of work in the space of um, bringing better building standards to well to everybody as well so well done it's good to tell good to talk thank you um yeah so i'll cast my mind back now 1999 um <laughs> i was a i was a, a school teacher in south australia um and truth be told i was finding school teaching a challenging job <laughs> and looking for something else <laughs> a little bit easier i mean I, I i i do love school teaching but i'd been doing it for almost almost 10 years um at that stage Prior to being a school teacher, I was a woodwork instructor, sort of a teaching uh, role as well. Um, and it was at the stage, me and my wife, we were approaching 30. Um, my wife, Chi, is the other director of Positive Footprints. And we were looking for change. And we also want to do something a bit meaningful as well. Um, and we'd uh, we travelled around the world. So we'd, we'd been in different houses and, and seen how people do things in different places. Um, and I'd also was well aware that climate change was a, was a thing and coming. Back in the early 90s, I'd done an environmental geography course and, you know, we'd learned all about climate change. I was familiar with Paul Ehrlich and David Suzuki and, and, and their work. Love the Lorax. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, we wanted to do something meaningful. And um, at about that time, I'd read a book called The Sustainable House Book by Michael Mobbs, which you're probably familiar with. Yes, I am um, very familiar with it. Very inspiring book. And I thought to myself, we were looking at houses um, because we were thinking of settling down and, you know, potentially starting a family a little bit down the track. And uh, there was nothing like the sustainable house out there. There are a few designers who knew about sustainability, but um, there was no product ready to go, uh, if you like and no builders who sort of knew the systems uh, well. So the idea of positive footprints was to put together building and design into one sustainable package to make it easy to achieve a sustainable home. Um, and so me and my wife both went back to Melbourne. We, we um, that's where, where I was born and bred and uh, where we had family. We kept coming back to Melbourne anyway to see our friends. So we thought, let's settle back down in Melbourne and start this company. So we registered Positive Footprints and then we turned to each other and we thought, we have no idea. How do you build a house? How do you design a house? What do we do now? And so um, I, I, had, I, I must admit, I had a little bit more idea than that. While I was teaching, I had, um, and after I'd read the Michael Moss book, I had booked myself into a cert for, for um, environmental house design uh, with Brisbane TAFE. And um, 
that was a really in-depth course and I found myself calculating, you know, R values, U values, solar heat gain coefficients, specific heat densities and, and, and temperature flows through walls and that sort of thing. Um, and within that particular course, there was this new thing that was out, which was house energy rating. It was the Chinath engine back then. And we'd had a go at it. And I, I thought, you know, this is the way to go. I don't want to have to do all these calculations by hand. Um, so I had a little bit of an idea, um, but still didn't know how to build. And so I went back to TAFE. Both me and my wife went back to TAFE and we're sitting alongside, you know, 16-year-old potentially. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm learning to be a builder. She was learning to be a designer. I, I did another course through the Master Builds as well, how to run a, a building company. Um, and I got myself qualified in the new software out, which was first rate, uh, well, first rate three <laughs> back then. Uh, I think it was just called first rate. And, uh, and also did uh, the NAT HERS version through the CSIRO. So I was sort of conversing with both of those software. And, uh, and lo and behold, the next year or, or so, I think 2004, it became legislation that we now had to have start having house energy rating. First of all, with uh, with government jobs, and in 2005, it became sort of legislation in Victoria for new homes, and so I found myself doing thousands of energy ratings, which is just as well because it kept the company going at that stage. Yeah, incredibly good timing. Uh, yeah, incredibly good timing, and um, at the same time as doing our course, uh, it also turns out that to be a builder, you have to have experience, <laughs> not just theoretical knowledge. Um, uh, and so, <clears throat> I had been a woodwork teacher in the past, so I was familiar with tools. Um, and so we decided to build our own house and uh, we did two owner builders in a row. Back then you were able to do this and, uh, and, and we were building the designs that she was designing and that, that I was energy rating as a way of, um, you know, working on the concept and, and finding out what worked and what didn't work as far as sustainable design. And then here we are today. <laughs> No, it's fantastic. Thank you for sharing that with us because I think it gives really great insight. I mean, it I'd not, of course, it makes sense that you're so passionate about education and you also have a natural inclination for it because of your background as a school teacher. Mm. I think that that really, it, I, I find it quite interesting that you said you wanted to do something meaningful, whereas you were already working in education, which I think is incredibly meaningful. <laughs> so. yeah, yeah, sorry, any teachers <laughs> listening. Yeah, it's, look, it's super, super meaningful. Yeah. But I can imagine that if you're not passionate about it, that it, mm. it, it's um, it's a challenge to, to be doing that every day. So, um, but no, I think it's, it's really interesting. And you, I mean, I know, I've been in the industry for over 27 years. You kind of forget that the stuff that we do now as a matter of course, and they were actually calling for better standards in at one point didn't exist and, you know, and was optional and all of those kinds of things. Now it's legislated and we're trying to get actually, you know, bigger teeth and better legislation yeah. to make it, to improve and it. It's amazing. When, when I started, you know, I had to look around for double glazed window suppliers, right? <laughs> they were hard to find. Um, we didn't have tapes and membranes and things, none, none, of, none of that. LEDs, what were LEDs? They didn't exist. Oh, um, I know. Yeah. My, my <laughs> first, the first solar system we put on was uh, 1.5 kilowatts. It cost 13,000. <laughs> 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 so um, back then, all we had was passive solar design and good design. And we really had to focus, you know, really hard on getting the shell right because we didn't, you know, what's a heat pump? My God. Um, if you put an air conditioner back on a home back then, uh, you would be lambasted in the, in the environmental sustainable community for using air cons. Uh, so you didn't do that. 
and they weren't efficient. So, and, and gas was green, <laughs> gas was green. Yeah. So let's put everything on gas. Um, you know, things have really changed and they've come a long way. And, and it's one of the reasons I'm excited about the future. <laughs> now, uh, where you specialize is in carbon zero homes. That's really where positive footprints, you know, sweet spot is and where I see you really talking uh, publicly and sharing your knowledge around carbon zero homes. Can you tell us what the definition of a carbon zero home is, please? Ah, well, you won't know because I made up the word. <laughs> <laughs> the nomenclature is still quite fluid, I have to say. Sometimes I'm calling it um, true zero, true carbon zero. Look, it's as simple as this. Your, your listeners are probably familiar with the concept of a net zero home, a home that produces as much power over the year as it, you know, as it uses. Um, obviously, that means in summer and during the day, it's producing more power than it uses at night and during winter, be producing a bit less. But on balance, you produce as much power as you use. So that's a net zero home. Um, and that's fantastic. That saves, you know, the average uh, Australian home um, produces six tonnes of carbon dioxide a year still. Um, from the energy that it uses to, um, well, for the fossil fuel burns to make the energy that it uses. Uh, so that's a really good achievement. Fantastic. We should all be doing it. Um, we just wanted to go, the, uh, the next step is looking at the materials that are in the house itself and the, what they call embodied carbon or upfront carbon. And um, yeah, the average, the average home, put another figure on it, uh, the average home has around about 200 tonnes of embodied carbon in it. Um, yeah, a lot, right? That's and huge. Yeah. Um, to, to, to maybe help people visualise that, one tonne of carbon, uh, it turns out, <laughs> how big is a tonne of carbon, if you want to think about it in volume-wise, one tonne of carbon, the average home, um, if you filled out the average 200-square-metre home, 2.7 high ceilings uh, with carbon, uh, carbon dioxide, um, you would have a tonne of carbon dioxide. So um, basically every tonne is, uh, is like a, a house-sized balloon, um, flying off into the atmosphere. Uh, so it's, you, it, it is a huge amount. Imagine 200. And you said that, yeah, yeah, you said the average home has 200 of those in it. Wow. Okay, yeah, just in the embodied. In, yeah. the, in the embodied. And then every year another six, you know, fly off, another six fly off, which over yeah. time, if nothing changed, which things will. But if nothing changed, that could be a huge amount, the, the operational energy. And so in the past, the focus has always been around operational energy. Let's get that one tackled because actually that adds up to more over the life of the building. Um, but now that um, now we're starting to get uh, a handle on that, I mean, our, our first home where we were net zero was back in 2013. Um, our client wrote to us and said they were $400 in credit on their electricity bill. Um, now, they still had gas at that stage because we were putting in gas, um, but they were so far ahead in their electricity bill, I have no doubt that if you balanced it all out, they would be, that would be our first carbon positive home, I guess. So it's, that's a reasonably easy bar to get to. And as the energy intensity of the electricity grid goes down over time, as more coal-fired power stations close and we get more solar and wind online, um, the operational energy is going to fade away a little bit. So the, the attention really needs to turn. It needs to turn now um, to the, the embodied carbon in the building materials because that is actually a, a lot harder nut, uh, nut to crack. Um, I'll talk a bit more about that in a minute, but the, the way we crack this, so how do we do a carbon, uh, a carbon zero home? So what we did is we've found out over time that if you build a, an energy efficient shell, seven, eight, nine starts, something like that, um, well, even, even six and a half, uh, and then you put in efficient appliances, 
um, heat pump hot water, uh, heat pump uh, air conditioning, LEDs, maybe go all electric and, and put in a, um, an induction cooktop. Uh, we found that most of our clients start breaking even. If they put a PV system on their roof of about five kilowatts or so, they start breaking even at that point. And so the idea occurred to me that um, if we put a bit more on the roof, well, we'd be putting out a lot of green electrons, if you like, into the energy grid. They'd be going to next door neighbours and going, they'll, they'll be using that. And well, the, uh, the authorities won't be needing to burn as much fossil fuels to supply the power. And so in a sense, we're sort of offsetting um, or getting carbon credits, if you like, um, for doing that. And so the next step was, well, okay, how much carbon is in our particular homes? And we work to try and minimise that and then quantify it. Uh, and that allowed us to do a back calculation. Well, how much extra panels would we, uh, how kilowatts of panels would we need to put on the roof so that over time the house would pay itself, pay back its carbon debt, if you like. And it turns out it wasn't all that much. Um, so we put on a 10 kilowatt system, but five of that basically goes to the operational running of the house. Two of it, um, we put on ready for charging of an electric car. So if you do, this, do the calculations, you put on two kilowatts of panel, that will produce enough power to run an electric car around about 50 kilometres a day, the average uh, electric car, which is about the average driving that people do. Um, and that left three kilowatts left over just to sit on the roof, produce green power and to pay the house off. Um, yeah, and so we, uh, we got an embodied energy calculation through a company called eTool and um, working it all out, it paid itself off in somewhere between 25 and, and 35 years, depending on whether you put an electric car on or not. Yeah. Wow. That, that you've just like, there's a lot of information crammed into, into there. And it's incredible in terms of thinking about it as an approach. I remember, and I think I've shared this with you before, that I attended the American Institute of Architects um, conference in, in 2018 in New York and went to a presentation there that was talking about carbon and embodied carbon. And they actually had some uh, graphs that said that if we just focus on the operational costs and the operational carbon in buildings being produced by buildings and reducing that, we won't reach our 2030 targets. Um, we won't even reach our 2050 targets. We actually need to be focusing on the embodied energy in the materials that we're putting into buildings now and lowering the carbon footprint in that regard um, if we've got a hope of meeting it. And so I think for it's a really interesting um, pathway to navigate. Is there a reason that in terms of it, you know, I, I know you can imagine this because you're dealing with clients all the time. I have homeowners come to me and say, well, I want to do a sustainable home. Um, and I've just dipped my toe in the water of what that might mean. And all of a sudden I'm throwing back all of this terminology and it's like, I've got to choose a priority. or I've got to choose one because I can't have it all. I've got to get a science degree in how I'm going to navigate it. You know, it's all this, you know, it's very complex. What, What's made you choose this over, say, going passive house or um, just doing really, really great passive solar design? Or, you know, I know that this would obviously factor in the passive solar design to reduce the operational costs, but what's made you choose the carbon zero approach for how you want to achieve a sustainability in the, in the projects that you're doing? So Positive Footprints is very much a holistic, sustainable company and, and, and all our homes include broad sustainable measures, not just carbon. 
However, I know at the moment it was really, um, it's very similar to why we bought out the nine star series. So back in the day, there was a lot of argument about going from five stars to six stars. And so we thought to ourselves, well, this is actually a very low bar. Let's bring out the nine star series <laughs> to show that, you know, come on guys, you're only talking about six stars here. We've got nine stars ready to go. So it's a very similar um, concept here. At the, at the moment, the, the industry is arguing, should we, can we possibly get to seven star? You know, that's gonna be too hard, too expensive. It's all the same arguments again. Um, and they're wanting to, you know, uh, should we go to um, whole of house? That's going to be, you know, oh, gee, we're going to have to know about brands and models of um, appliances and it's going to be confusing and difficult. And look, all, all of those things are, are partly right. There, there will be uh, hiccups along the road, obviously, and it's a matter of how we run out that education. But the uh, we wanted to show that, um, you know, you could do a lot better. And in fact, really what we've got to be aiming for, if we want to get, if we're serious about getting to net zero, uh, the building industry is such a large contributor to the um, global emissions. The building industry needs to shoulder up. They need to put their, you know, their shoulders to the wheel and uh, make a difference and, um, and commit. And so we just wanted to show that it would be possible today to bring out a responsible, a carbon responsible home, a, a product to the marketplace. And um, once again, just to, I, I guess, have a leadership role and, um, and, and then have an educative back end to that leadership role to say how, you know, how others can do it too. Because what, the thing about the building industry compared to a lot of other industries, we have uh, everything, at least in the residential, we have all the technology we need. You know, everything is there. We have the know-how, we have the technology, and arguably all the price points are right to go to carbon zero. But you look at other, other industries, you look at the concrete industry, for instance, um, they've got an inherent problem that to make cement, you've got to burn limestone and, it, it, and, the, and, the, and the limestone emits carbon dioxide in actually making the, the, the product. It's not a matter of changing to electricity from gas. They've got an inherent problem there. The building, in, the, the building industry broadly doesn't have that. So, um, yeah, it, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's time to start moving. It's time to start uh, leading the way. And I guess that's what we were wanting to do with the, with the series. And so when it comes to a client approaches you, and I can imagine the process is slightly different for a renovation than it is for a new build, and they've come to you knowing that this is the kind of, you know, um, design and building that you do, how do you take them through that process? You touched on how you do the carbon calculations and those kinds of things. Can you step us through whether it means that they're restricted to certain materials or how that sort of works in terms of thinking about how you approach the design, perhaps there's a, you know, I imagine the size of the house has an impact on it. How do you navigate clients through this process um, and keeping that goal in mind? So the client comes to us. Um, first of all, well, we've got the Carbon Zero, carbon zero series. If, that's, if they're interested in Carbon Zero itself, they will usually gravitate to one of the four designs or they'll say, oh, this one's pretty good, but I want an extra bedroom or it's got to fit this particular block. And then we will just work within that framework that we've already got. So that's super easy for the clients. They don't need to think or worry about, you know, calculation, that sort of thing. They'll leave that all to us. Um, if a, a client comes to us for a custom home, it's either a renovation or a new build, uh, we will do, we'll act 
in, in the first instance, act just like any other designer. We'll take their brief, we'll listen to them, we'll talk it through, find out what they're trying to, to do. Um, we will then, uh, or she, in fact, I'm, I'm actually not very good at this particular part. Um, she will then take that, uh, that design concept, well, that, that, that design statement by them and produce a plan using passive solar principles. Um, and what that means in Victoria, pretty much the, for, for those people listening in, in cooler climates, it's really easy um, to do. These are the passive solar principles. You simply need to have most of your rooms or as many of your rooms getting northern sunlight as possible because we're in a heating climate down here. We're trying to get um, the house heated up. Um, you know, there's a big ball of fire in the sky called the sun. Let's use it. Let's invite that into, into our home. Makes logical sense. Um, and then look at what other um, aspects of the site we can use, what other um, resources there are. Well, in summer, we're trying to cool the home and, and the ground temperature in, in most of Victoria and in Southern Australia is going to be somewhere between 16 and 18 degrees. If we can lock to the earth there, um, we will find that we can get some sort of free cooling. All right, what else can we do? Let's look at uh, breezes in summer on summer afternoon. Where I am in Melbourne, we got beautiful sea breezes and other places, they'll get, they'll get valley winds. Let's find what those afternoon sea breezes, uh, afternoon breezes are and design breeze paths through the structure so we can take advantage of that. And, you know, if you look from a sustainability point of view, what else have we got going? Well, we've got rain that falls on the roof. You know all about that up, uh, up where you are. Um, but down here, we don't get as much. So uh, let's capture that and then we can use that to flush toilets, uh, run the laundry, um, possibly even shower with it or water the garden, um, depending on how much you get. And then um, using that process, we find that the house pretty much looks after itself. And uh, you then obviously add in some, um, some appliances, put in some efficient uh, heating and cooling. We use, we use, we use air conditioners basically, um, which are heat pumps. They're very, very efficient at what they do now. Um, and then we start going around the house and, um, uh, sorry, going, when I say going around the house, we start looking at the other major appliances in the house. Um, heat pump we put on for hot water, uh, LEDs, induction cooktop. So we, we sort of have a, a range of products that we've used before that we like, that we know well, that we can explain to clients. We talk, the, we talk them through, you know, do they want to go all electric or do they want to still have gas? And we talk about the pros and cons of both. And most times, by the time we've had that conversation, they make the choice themselves that, the, you know, it makes sense to go all electric. Um, and, okay, so we're now at that stage where we're, we produced a plan that we think is going to work really well. Now, at that stage, even though we've, um, well, at that stage, we do a house energy rating and Chi will pass the, pass the thing over to me. I do the ratings. And even though she's got 20 years of design experience in passive solar design and does great stuff. I know that it's going to start at seven plus, right? But even so, if I go around, the house energy rating is a very, very valuable and powerful tool. And um, what it does, you input all the data of the house, the, the wall types, the window types, the amount of insulation, any overshadowing things, the eaves sticking out, any mass in the house, what things are made of, enter it all in. It then using data for the actual area that the house is in, it will do a calculation every half an hour for every day for a whole year um, of the sun rising and setting and temperatures falling and rising, humidity, winds blowing, all that sort of stuff to work out how the house is likely to perform and how much extra energy it's going to need to maintain comfortable temperatures. 
And because it uses a zoned approach, each room is its own zone. I can then look at that once I've done the calculation and say, hey, this bedroom's doing really well. This bedroom's not doing so well. What's happening in this bedroom that's not happening in that bedroom? And I can start then playing with variables. Oh, um, maybe, you know, I've got to pull back the eave. It's a bit cold. I need to get a bit, bit more sunlight into there. Um, or maybe it's getting too hot. Maybe uh, I could put a bit of mass onto one of those internal walls to absorb that heat so it doesn't rise so quickly during the summer. Uh, or maybe there's a shading issue outside. Maybe we need to trim the tree a little bit. Uh, so we can play with all those factors. And I literally go around each room of the house, tweaking each room of the house. And then I produce a report. And I can usually gain at least another half a star on top of what she's already provided me with. And if, if, if I'm doing this for other people who aren't staying from passive solar approach, it's probably at least a star plus. Uh, and we produce a report. And the report will say, if you do, this is how the house is performing. If you do X, Y, and Z, it will you know, give you this much extra performance. And because we're a building company, this is the price of, of those things. And at the same time, I will do a, a costing on the whole house. And I, it's quite an in-depth process, but it is the cost that if they built it now with the assumptions I put in the, in the report, that's how much it's going to be. So the clients can see, well, this is how the house is performing. This is how much it costs. These are extra things I can do. Do I have any money in the kitty to do those things? If so, yes, let's put them in. Let's sign off the design concept and uh, then we can move on to working drawings. Yeah, that's sort of how, how we get um, a very high performance. As far as um, going carbon zero, probably we take the approach of, um, I tend to use materials that are, that are easy and uh, well-known in the industry. It's easy to get people to get, um, you know, uh, different what's the word, subcontractors to work with them because they know how to work with them. Um, but we choose things that are lower embodied energy than others. So, you know, while I'd love to work with straw bale or, um, you know, I have worked with mud brick in, in the past, but there, there, are, there are some materials which, which tick all the environmental boxes, but just, just too expensive to, to work with, at least in a domestic setting because of the amount of, in case of straw bale, it takes up a huge amount of floor area. And so per square meter, it's pretty expensive to, to put in just because the land area takes up. Um, so what do we work with? We, we use um, uh, low embodied energy concrete. Concrete is one of the highest um, uh, embodied energy parts of the house, or embodied carbon parts of the house. So uh, we take out, uh, there are companies that sell concrete where they take out a part of the cement. We take up up, up to 60% of the cement component. We replace it with slag and fly ash. Both of those are waste products, one from iron smelting, one actually from the um, coal industry. And, um, and in fact, uh, just recently, there's also companies that have quant quantified the amount of embodied carbon within their concrete. And they offer through the government's climate active offset scheme to sell you a product where they have already, not only is it the, you know, triple blend um, cement removed slag and fly ash blend, but they've also quantified how much carbon is left in it. And then they have offset that already through tree planting or, or oh, so they're one already of the government schemes. They're already dealing with it. Yep. It's, it's absolutely awesome. And we should all be um, looking that? at the climate active website. Um, well, there's Wholesome is the one that I that I use, yep. but um, I noticed uh, that now Borrell is on that website. Um, Hanson is on there as well. I think that it's starting to draw people and it's starting That's to draw the bigger players. Yeah. 
That's fantastic. Yeah, because put that in the hang resources. on, why, why should why should it be the architect or the designer who has to look after everybody else's? Uh, yeah, and the, or the homeowner having to figure out how <laughs> to pay it. for all of yeah. That's, that's no, that's right, fantastic. That's right. Yeah, everyone. And and so what we're wanting to do is do a responsible house product. And if every other product did a responsible whatever their product is, selling their widgets, a responsible widget that they've just made, um, then you know how much easier is that going to be <laughs> for everyone to meet their carbon zero objective? Yeah, that's uh, amazing. Yeah, so that's hmm, I, that's sort of the process that we go through. Now, if the, if the owner actually wants to, I, the owner can go two ways. If, if they want to do a completely signed off by a third party carbon zero outcome, then we would get a, a life cycle assessment, proper life cycle assessment done, and, th and then we can quantify things. But for most homeowners, they're just happy that they know that I'm going down this route, that, that they trust me that I've done all the work and that they will be producing a lot more power than they use and, um, you know, th that their house will be more or less in the ballpark <laughs> of, a, of a carbon zero outcome. So we can go to, to the nth degree if you want and, and do it properly, or we can just use sort of rule of thumb uh, methodology and get a good outcome. That's fantastic. No, thank you for taking us through that in detail. And when you're designing the home, are you deliberately trying to keep it as compact as possible? Like is size part of that sort of design criteria for Chi in terms of ensuring that you're not, yeah, that the house size isn't running away with you in terms of that that sort of measure? Well, like I said at the start, every, every, every well, I'm not sure if I said it in these words, but every square metre, here's the rule of thumb. And this was from a recent report called the net uh, race for net zero by the University of New South Wales and the CRC for low carbon living. Um, and they did a, a comparative assessment of a whole lot of life cycle analysis from Australia and abroad to try and work out this question, how much carbon is there in the existing home? And they normalized for uh, different assumptions in the different reports. And they came up with about 1.2 tonnes per square metre of house, 1.2 tonnes of, of carbon per square metre of house. Wow. Now, that's a little bit higher than other reports that I've seen. And things have actually been going up over time because originally you were just looking at um, what they call a process analysis where they're looking at the amount of energy, you know, that's gone into mining the thing, the amount of energy that, that it took putting the thing through the machine and then wrapping it up. And whereas that gives you one answer. But if you think about all the associated infrastructure that goes to producing that one thing, all the buildings, all the computers, all the marketing team flying internationally, all the communications, all people eating their sandwiches at lunchtime, right? <laughs> um, if you put that in, then you get a much bigger answer. And uh, so this is, this is on, on using that, that bigger way of looking at things. Um, yeah, but that so my rule of thumb for builders is just if you assume one ton per square meter, that's puts you in the right ballpark. Yeah. No, that's actually an incredible metric to remember because you know when you're thinking about, I have homeowners sort of debating about how you know you, you and you've possibly seen it that just in case mentality. Whilst we're here, we'll mm. just add that extra space. We'll mm. you know do we need that? I'm arguing with, with my mother-in-law about how important the extra guest bedroom is, and it can't be a multifunction room and all of these kinds of things. Yeah. And you know, but that if if sustainability and your carbon footprint is important to you, to have that metric in mind is really transparent. So. Mm. You mentioned and the heat. Sorry, I'll just I'll just say before you, before you, 
before you go on, I should just answer your question, which was, yes, she definitely looks at not building too big. Every square metre you can save not only saves that carbon, but, you know, at, at today's today's prices, we're, we're probably starting to push high threes per square metre, you know, 3,000, 3,500 to 4,000, I guess, is where we're at. Um so every square metre that you save, well, you can do a lot with that money. You know, you can have fantastic appliances, fantastic equipment in the home. Um, and it's usually pretty easy if you look through most designs to just shave off, you know, let's take off 40, mil, uh, 40 uh, centimetres along this side of the house or um, let's try and get rid of that corridor. Why do we need that corridor? It's not doing anything for me. So, yeah, that's a really good um, thing to do to try and uh, rationalise and, and make your designs nice and functional. And that's it for part one of my conversation with Jeremy. I hope you found that helpful. Make sure you join me next time because we're going to dive into some detail about efficient air conditioning. We're also going to talk about managing this approach affordably in your home and how to find a sustainable builder who can build with the quality needed for a well-performing, energy-efficient home. Jeremy's got some really great information and tips for you as well. Now, remember, you can access a free downloadable PDF transcript of this episode by heading to www.undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 232. That's the numbers 232. You'll also find links there to learn more about Jeremy and Positive Footprints, as well as their Carbon Zero Homes series. And you can see all the information there. I've got links to that we mentioned, other helpful resources for you. They're all available on that link of undercoverarchitect.com forward slash 232. Now, be sure to tune in next time for part two of my conversation with Jeremy. I know it's going to be fantastic. As always, thank you for tuning in and for letting me be your secret ally. Until next time.